This is the new LOL podcast, and I am Karen Stewart. My goal is to challenge you, motivate, and encourage you to live your life boldly as a Christian out loud. Do me a favor. If you find anything of value, any motivation, any encouragement, help me spread the word like this. Share it on all your channels. And thanks for listening. Let's get started. I have noticed there's this new thing that seems to be happening all the time. And that is the use of the phrase, I'm sorry. So people can do and say the most outrageous things. And then when the thing gets exposed or they get exposed, they flip out the I'm sorry line. And it seems to me like it's almost become like a new demonstration of social graces. Like the demonstrations of politeness and etiquette in social and cultural situations that we learn and do. You know how you say please and thank you and excuse me? Those are just standard behaviors that demonstrate some degree of home training. And really, it's just kind of what you do to reflect the fact that you weren't raised by wolves, you know? And when you've been trained to do that, it just becomes very normal, and very natural. It's just something that you do without even thinking about it. And it seems like people saying, I'm sorry, is a new phrase added to that very standard list. And somehow, because we say, I'm sorry, it almost seems like whatever the action that prompted that is supposed to be immediately forgiven or ignored. But is that really how it's supposed to be? I don't know. Like, Just because you say it, does it mean that you really meant it? Kind of like when somebody sneezes and you say, bless you. Is it really your desire that the person be blessed? Or is that just what you say when somebody sneezes? I started thinking about this whole sorry thing this week when I was reading in Matthew about the ministry of John the Baptist. He's not like a circuit preacher or anything, going from church to church, a house to house, actually. He is literally just what Isaiah said in chapter 40. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's all he's doing. He's out in the wilderness. He's wearing this trendy little camel hair outfit with a leather belt. (laughs) And he's eating locusts and wild honey. And people are coming out there to see him. Can you imagine? (laughs) Anyway, um... In Matthew 3, 2, it says that his whole message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And of course, I've read and heard that story a ton of times. He's out there preaching. Jesus himself comes out there to him and John baptizes him. Can you imagine being the one who baptizes the actual living, breathing son of God? That's like mind-blowing right there. Anyway, if you keep reading into chapter 4, halfway through that chapter, Jesus then begins his preaching ministry. And of course, if you read the Bible in chronological order, you know that there were a bunch of other things he did between the time he was baptized and started preaching. But he started preaching in Matthew four seventeen, and it says this, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Okay, now this is one of the reasons why it's extremely important to read more than just a random verse here and there in the Bible. But you got to make an effort to read at least whole chapters or whole chunks of scripture at one time because it gives you a better opportunity to see the threads that weave through the word and bring it all together. And that's why I encourage you to find a Bible translation, not a paraphrase, but a real translation that you're able to read and understand so it doesn't feel like a struggle and a chore when you're trying to read the Bible. You should make every effort to read and like keep on reading until the Spirit of God connects the dots for you and it and and apprehends your attention through the Word. That's what happened to me as I was reading this. It was the first time that I noticed that when Jesus first began to preach and when John the Baptist first began to preach, they both preached the exact same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's a directive. It's an instruction. It's not a suggestion. It was the first thing that people were told to do to make themselves ready for the coming kingdom of heaven. Now, I was always taught that repentance was more than just saying, I'm sorry. Because, I mean, really, you could say sorry to the cows come home and keep doing the same thing over and over again with no real change in behavior. And I was also told that repentance was about turning away from that thing that you've done to make a 180 degree turn or go in the opposite other direction. And without question, that change of behavior is key. But I also know that the thing God is most concerned about when it comes to us is our hearts. So check out what that word repent means in the original language. Literally, it means to think differently afterwards. To feel a compunction. That word compunction means a feeling of uneasiness or anxiety of the conscience that is caused by regret for doing wrong or causing pain. So just so that... that let me be clear, when John and Jesus started out preaching about repentance, the aim was for the hearers to acknowledge their sin, change their minds about it, and accept Jesus as Savior, right? The message of repentance really hasn't changed just because we've already confessed um, and given our life to Christ. Repentance is an ongoing tenant of life in relationship with Jesus. I know that the Bible says that we become new creatures in Christ when we surrender to him, and that is absolutely the truth. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he literally infuses us with his spirit and makes us a being or a creature that never existed before. So you, infused with Christ, is absolutely 100% brand new. But still, the reality is that none of us is or will be perfect until we are united with him in eternity. And just like Paul wrote to the Romans in the seventh chapter, there is a constant war that's raging within us. And Jesus himself is fully aware of this. But just because he knows and understands and cares, that does not mean that there is not an expectation that we should feel the way he feels about sin. Our culture has influenced us to have a very casual perception of sin. 
Somewhere within each one of us, there's some kind of barometer which we use to determine how big a deal it is when we make decisions or choose actions or speak words that don't align with the heart and the will of God. And somehow we find peace with the things that we do that are not that bad. And we rest in the knowledge of the love of God and the forgiveness that we receive through the death of Jesus on the cross. And what can happen is many times we can become very comfortable with taking the grace of God for granted. I mean, I know I've done that in my life before. Um, and there's some people I've heard say, well, you know, nobody's perfect. I gave my life to Jesus, so I know I'll spend eternity with him. That's true. But what about now? What about right now? John 17, 3 says clearly eternal life is not just about dying and going to heaven, but eternal life is knowing him now. And our sin presents a barrier and a separation between us and him. I'm not saying that we should be sitting around day and night, navel gazing and focusing on every single thing that we're doing or, or, or not doing right. But if you've given your life to Jesus and the spirit of the living Christ lives in you, when you sin, and I don't mean like what we call sin. I'm talking about when we sin according to his definition, not ours, we can be certain that his spirit, which is within us, will let us know. No matter what excuses we may have or use to try to find peace with our decisions and our actions, the fact is our hearts will betray us and we will feel the uneasiness or interference in our relationship with him until we don't. My mother used to say that sometimes you can do wrong for so long that you will think it's right. And all of us can run the risk of hitting that nebulous vortex where you feel like everything is good between you and God and you never even realize how far you've drifted away from him. Even while you might be doing things for him. But the cool thing is there's a, a way to limit that impact. And I know I've said it before because it really is simple. This whole Christian thing is not that complicated. All you have to do is keep your eyes on him. Because if your attention is focused on anything else, that means your attention is not focused on him. The goal of this life is not to live in sinless perfection. The goal is to be as close to him as humanly possible here on this earth and to allow him to transform us from glory to glory until we're joined with him. And that means growing in the state of having a heart like he has, feeling the way he feels about things and seeing things through the lens of his heart and not being distracted by all the foolishness and nonsense that's thrown at us day by day which the goal of that is only to seduce us into fixing our gaze on something else, anything else, as long as our hearts are not fixed on him. Life happens and Jesus is fully aware of all the challenges that we face. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15 that he himself was tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't sin. And Paul told the Corinthians in his first letter, Chapter 10, 13, there is no temptation that exists that is not common to man, but God is faithful and with any temptation we may face, 
he will also always give us a way of escape. And still, he knows that there will be times when we will blow it just like Peter. In Luke 22, 31, 32, Jesus said this to Peter. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Did you catch that last part? He said, once you have turned again, the King James says, when you have been converted, once you have turned again, in other words, you are going to blow it. But when you turn back around, strengthen your brothers. So really, I'm just speaking to you as one who has blown it and turned back again. Really, just like Peter, I want to encourage you, my family. If there's an area in your life that God has made clear he's not okay with, respond to him with repentance. It doesn't matter if you feel like it's a big deal or not. If it matters to him, it should matter to us. And don't just give the non-apology apology. You know, the one where you say, I'm sorry if you feel like I did something or said something wrong, Lord. That That's not repentance at all. When David sinned with Bathsheba and sent her husband to his death, it was the prophet Nathan who spoke the words of God's heart. And David, he gave us the example that we should all feel whenever we sin. He said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. He was talking to the Lord. When we choose to do anything that's contrary to the heart of God, we do something voluntarily that even Satan himself cannot do to us. We drive a wedge between ourselves and our Lord. No, we are not separated from his love. That's not what I'm saying because that'll never happen. But you can be estranged even from somebody that you love. And if you're at a place where you don't feel like, you know, you get a check, you don't get something inside that makes you uncomfortable when your gaze is shifted away from him, I'm going to encourage you, just check in with him and make sure you haven't drifted further away from him than you think. There's a lot of people who identify themselves as little Christ followers of Jesus. That's what Christian means. Who are giving the world a horrible and defiled picture of who he is. We need to make sure that we are not doing the same thing. And the good news is this. He's willing to help us always. Just ask him to let you see things the way he sees them, including your own behavior, your own words, your own thoughts, and your own heart. And ask him to help you to feel about those things the way he feels. Ask him to change your mind and change your heart so that your repentance is real and leads to lasting fruit. And then just keep it moving. It's as simple as that. Keep your gaze focused on him. Let him live through you boldly out loud.